senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. I'm not normally a praying man, but if you're up there, please save me, Superman! Let's face it, this is not the worst thing you've caught me doing. Hi, and welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlife podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. This is episode 25. Yes. Live-ish from, <laughs> from our uh, foreign affairs desk. <laughs> Domestic, I don't know, we're still in the U.S., but... Uh, yeah, so foreign to us. Yes, the... the <laughs> The, the National Comics Affairs desk yeah, okay. in San Diego, California, overlooking the beautiful railroad, <laughs> a bunch of dole container trucks. Because if you listen to last week's show, we were unable to upgrade. So we're, we're looking at their pack and the fucking pineapples. That's, that's our view every day from our home away from home in San Diego at San Diego Comic-Con International 2014. Yes. And this is a later show than we really anticipated getting up because... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As you're aware, we have a mascot, Parker the Kitten. And since we're going to be gone for a week, we tried like hell to secure a reliable cat sitter who would show up every day and under contract, spend up to 45 minutes of quality time with our little guy. Who's so social that, you know, when we do this at home... We close the door to the, the main office, and uh, he gets upset and cries. And that's just when we're gone for an hour. Yeah, in the house. In the house. But not available to him. Yes. So we had found this service, and we did a dry run a couple months ago, and for the first day, it was great. You know, they sent pictures showing that she was playing with him, and we actually have uh, webcams in the house to keep an eye on the cat. So we could see in real time, okay, yep, plenty of quality attention. This is going to work out great. Then we arrive in San Diego on Tuesday, and it gets to be uh, 11 p.m. East Coast time and realize we haven't gotten an email saying anybody's checked on the cat. So we send an email out. Is somebody going to do that? Oh, yeah, like 11.30 local time. We see her come in, and okay, fine. But... The one wrinkle in this is these webcams that we have. You can set them up so they have motion detectors. Yes. So, and, and we set it up and generally leave it pointed at the door, the theory being if somebody breaks in the house, we'll the, know. the motion detector <laughs> alarm goes off and it emails a series of pictures from like four or five seconds around it. So, <laughs> Wednesday comes, the motion detector goes off, I get the email going, great, she's in the house, she's going to play with them, goes off four minutes later, she's leaving. Yeah. And, and we get a picture of just the cat running. <laughs> Yesterday, when we were planning on doing a show uh, after the first full day of the convention, we get an email directly from the cat sitter with a picture, you know, oh, you know, kitty selfie. <laughs> it's like, okay, except the motion detector didn't go off, and usually it goes off when someone enters or leaves the house. Suspicion arises. Yeah. Now, they don't know we have this motion detector. We didn't tell them because we didn't think it was relevant. They seemed so trustworthy. We just wanted to catch a burglar if they came in. They were well-reviewed. So <laughs> we get back to the room and pull up this picture on the actual computer and check the metadata. And sure enough, the picture was taken two fucking days ago. Didn't show up to take care of the cat at all. So long story short, we're flailing around. I had to 
FedEx a key overnight to a friend of mine who works in my town <laughs> to the tune of $70 to yeah. get it there overnight so that somebody could look at the cat. In the meantime, these people have the keys to our uh, to our home office. Yeah. So we can't let them know that we know they're full of shit. We want to make sure that our, our belongings remain intact and that the cat remains okay. Yeah, but also it's <laughs> technically it breaks the contract if somebody else is taking care of the cat, even though they're not. Yeah. So because we need somebody to still, in theory, come in and make sure he's alive. So it's this whole subterfuge of I had to email them and say, oh, somebody's going in to grab some files off my computer in case <laughs> you see them there. And, and I'm trying to get another buddy to go in on Sunday because my friend, the friend who went in today, it, it's just been a big goddamn mess. So we've been a little distracted. We intended to do this sooner, but now you have us. Yeah. <laughs> and may God have mercy upon <laughs> you. So, yes, we've uh, done the first full day of the convention. We're running a, a little bit late today because it was a big night of drinking with. Uh, Gary Anna Abeda, who will be a guest on this show uh, at least once, maybe later on today. Um, but yeah, it's a you can Google her. She uh, was a host of the Popcorn Mafia podcast a few years ago. She actually did a uh, a commentary on the Private Lessons DVD that just came out. You know, a big film expert. You know, who's she weaponizes fun <laughs> is the problem. We really didn't intend to close the bar last night it no. was just so much fun hanging out with her <laughs> yeah. so uh, looking forward to having her be a guest on this but um so yeah we're a little banged up it's going to be a shorter day at the con today because of that but, but yeah yesterday was the the first full day we also uh went to preview night and just some stuff we noticed walking around it seems like we might be over the bubble over <laughs> apogee yeah <laughs> on comic-con because we got here really early on tuesday when they were starting to set stuff up downtown um and saw the process you know all through until preview night started and usually right in the gas lamp district the entirety of fifth avenue which is right across the street from the convention center yeah is trade dress for something or another uh there's a steakhouse that last year i think was some game company took over the entire yeah. trade dress uh, the Tin Fish, the Fish Taco Place uh, was NBC. Everything was, somebody was sponsoring it and had taken over the space. And there's still a lot of it, but big chunks of it are now... Just normal. Just normal, yeah. Nobody spent any money on it. Um, it's certainly, there, there's no mistaking there's a comic convention going on, but it's <laughs> not quite as big as it was. It, But, you know, even still... It's still fucking ginormous. Oh yeah, it's a, you go up Fifth <laughs> Avenue and there's stuff basically everywhere. But it it wasn't the onslaught that yeah. it, it was for two or three years, including yeah. last year. And uh, yeah, a lot of that is yeah, the conventional wisdom. It, it's Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, Scott Pilgrim. What was that? 2011. I think so. Um, yeah, so much money was spent on that. You know. A big chunk of that downtown area was Scott Pilgrim stuff. And because of that, there were still all the movies. Because ever since 2006 and Snakes on a Plane. Yes. You know, the movie companies were everywhere and had stuff set up. After Scott Pilgrim tanked, you know, even though that's a pretty good flick. Um, now it's not so much of the movie stuff. Yeah, there's still quite a lot of TV stuff. I mean, there's a huge um, Game of Thrones presence. Um 
right across from the Tin Fish, whatever hotel that is. I think it's a Hard Rock or something. I think so, yeah. Um, and uh, the Comic-Con signs that are up all over the city are all, uh, I think... Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy, much. yeah. So uh, there's certainly still, you know, a, a movie and TV presence. It just feels minorly dialed back. Yeah, and uh, yeah, another sign. Most of the big hotels for the last two or three years, the entire faces of them have been made into big movie posters. Yeah. And now there's only one, and was it the Hyatt or the Marriott? The, the Marriott. Marriott. Um, and that's for the new Sean Bean TV show. Yes. Not a movie at all. Nope. So. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing on the on the front of our hotel this year. Yeah, uh, which is nice because two years ago they put up a big poster for Revolution <laughs> on Revolution is yeah, that it, it? Revolution. on NBC that really fucked up the ability to see out our windows. <laughs> and I would hate to think they'd do that this year and really pooch my view of the fucking dole containers. <laughs> Sometimes, doesn't matter what time you get here, you can't upgrade. Maybe they felt that you were no longer going to stand in the window and wave your junk at Hall H. Hey, I am committed <laughs> to constantly waving my junk at Hall H. I mean, that's the... Well, that's the other thing. There is right now because uh, it, it's Friday, which is one of the bigger days of the convention. Right now, there's a huge line for Hall H because yes. I think today the Walking Dead panel and Game of Thrones panels are are going on. That there. sounds right. Um, uh, we will not go anywhere near Hall H. Um, uh, we're hoping that Anne Garyanna does so we could you know just sort of get because she's a Hall H veteran. Yes, but even she was complaining last night that it's tough to get in. And I don't want to cover that ground too much because she'll have plenty to say about it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, for the last two or three years, there's been a line for Hall H. When we get here on Tuesday, Tuesday just yeah. about, it, it, at least by Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, and nothing was really happening until really late on preview night. A few people had started to line up yeah. for stuff. And part of that is because they've in, you know, put some kind of wristband system into place, which I don't really understand because we haven't been in Hall H since 2009. Right. Um. But yeah, it just seemed a little bit smaller. And even walking the floor on preview night, it was full. It was full, but there were a couple of places where I could spread both my arms out and not necessarily purposefully clock anyone. <laughs> you did it on purpose a few <laughs> times, though. <laughs> Particularly yesterday, things got a little dicey for a while. But but I, yeah, it was. you could kind of move around. It wasn't like the glory days. Preview night was originally for a very small number of serious collectors who wanted a first shot at exclusive items that, that various toy companies yep. and whatever were putting out. So, uh, yeah, I think it was 2000, 2009, I think it was, was the first time we went to preview night. And we just... <laughs> Rolled in drunk. Yeah, it, we didn't... Uh, we certainly knew the convention at that point. We didn't know what preview night was, but we knew it was going to be a limited number of people. So we went and got our passes at 3 o'clock like usual. And then we went to a bar and just drank constantly <laughs> until 7 o'clock. The bartender lit the bar on fire. I yeah. remember that. And it wasn't even by accident. <laughs> it was a show, man. <laughs> they do their shit right here at San Diego Comic-Con. But, but, yeah, but yeah, you could just wander shit-faced around. <laughs> I got a horrible picture of me in Jabba the Hutt's lap. And, yeah. You know, and then even the next year after that, we tried to mimic the magic and within 40 minutes i'm like i'm losing my buzz and there's fucking people everywhere yeah so now we do it 
sober and up until yeah this past year it had become just as crowded as any other day on the floor yeah but this year it seemed a little bit lighter so and that's fine we're here for the comics we don't really it's kind of cool to go oh celebrities are around we don't hunt them out that's not really what we do so no if this just rolls back to where it's the biggest comic convention in north america again and it's easier to get tickets i'm okay with that yeah i won't cry but so yeah yesterday was the first full day on the convention floor and uh yeah, I, I went berserk at the 2000 AD <laughs> booth. You are their favorite person. Well, <laughs> it's uh, after the Dread movie came out, I s- decided, uh, you know, I think I've, I've never really read Judge Dread because it's not an easy thing to get in the United States. Right. Um, but I started getting those big, thick case file books, which are just starting to come back into print in the U.S. now. Yep. And I got the first six of them and was able to get uh, two more uh, through... I forget if it was Barnes and Noble or, or Amazon, but able to get them internationally pretty cheap. Yeah, other but, than shipping. <laughs> but yeah, but the rest are out of print in the United States in 2000 AD. They had all of them, not an American price on them. I basically <laughs> was at their mercy. But yeah, I bought like four or five of those and the Day of Chaos trades. It dropped like $200 just on British fucking comic books. Yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it did our T-shirts, so. Because as usual, we only packed like two of them, like we said in our, our tips episode last week. Yeah. So yeah, today I'll be, I don't, know, I don't know, what the hell did I get? The uh, Major League Jedi, like the Major League Baseball yes. logo. Because today's supposedly Star Wars Day on yes. the floor. So. so I'll be rocking my the Star Wars t-shirt that I packed. But I, I have so far purchased uh, two DC hero themed t-shirts that are somewhat form-fitting. Um and if you wear them with the right bra, ladies, uh, you get rock a fort boob. boob. Um, <laughs> you, you just it, it's it's pretty form fitting and and it makes you look rather large. It is fucking glorious, is what it <laughs> is. And you fucking know it. And if you don't, I do. So if you want your your, your tits to look like the size of your head, seek these out. <laughs> I, I gotta go to the bathroom for a minute. I'll be right back. <laughs> You also got a very nice piece of art. That's right. Yes, actually. That the more important thing is, um, I I have a really cool uh, watercolor of an un- unpublished Hellblazer cover, um, and the uh, the artist is Felipe. Oh, hold on a second. Dial this up. I'll tell people. <laughs> um, yeah, that's the other problem with recording from the National Affairs desk. We got exactly one computer, which is recording this. So yeah, now we're gonna try to do it on the phone. Yeah, it's uh, oh, this is gonna, this show's going right down the toilet. We it didn't is. plan it well. Stupid hangover. Stupid hangover. Goddamn weaponized fun. Felipe um, Echevarria. I'm sure you pronounced that correctly. Also, um, apologies <laughs> to the artist because I'm sure I just butchered his name. Um, but it's yeah, it's it's really the uh, it's it's just a side profile of uh, John Constantine. Um, with a cigarette, and everything that the Constantine pilot gets wrong, this man gets incredibly right in one painting. <laughs> yeah, just plumes of cigarette smoke and rumpled, filthy um, trench coat. <laughs> yeah, it's no, it's a it's a really cool, cool piece. But yeah, because yesterday was also the first full day. It was the first day of panels. Uh, we caught a few of them. I mean, kind of the cool thing this year is since we're not trying to be a full-on news outlet. Yeah, certainly we'll go to the actual 
comics news panels and you know we'll talk about them in the the coming days but it's kind of cool to be able to just go to some of the lower key ones or the weirder ones yeah um yeah one we did yesterday was a batman in the 1970s that was fun yeah um with neil adams denny o'neill and uh, a few other people yes again in in the ideas of complete lack of preparation (laughs) i forgot to go look but uh but yeah i was just talking about how batman sort of switched over from the campy yes. 1960s to the, a much more realistic and closer to the Batman that we're used to right now. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Mark uh, Avenir, uh, who was the, the moderator of it, flat out said what it was about right at the beginning. It's those of us who are Batman fans have certain years we can't stand Batman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's a, uh, you know, and, and basically just talking about how, yeah, was it, uh, Denny O'Neill said he was uh, offered it and didn't take it. His big thing was the the camp thing for Batman wasn't my fault. I had nothing to yeah. do with that. I didn't want to do it. Yeah. And uh, it was Neil Adams who wanted to do Batman, and editor in chief Julius Schwartz said, "No, fuck you. No, nobody's buying Batman right now because the TV show's off. You know, we've got better things for you to do." So he finally tricked his way onto Brave and the Bold, and yes. did a few of them, and. A, just said, yeah, people started writing in and saying, yeah, the only real Batman's in Brave and the Bold. So, uh, okay, we'll put him on actual Batman. And uh didn't realize, because I was a, probably even too young to read comics at the time, because this is early 70s. Early, yeah. Um, Batman had gone bad enough. Detective Comics actually was canceled for at least a couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah, and they finally saved it by folding the Batman family comic into it. Yeah, to, to keep it going. Right. But yeah, once the TV show went off the air, nobody gave a fuck. <laughs> you know? Well, you know. The Why anybody gave a fuck about the TV? And I know it's undergoing a renaissance now, and there's yeah. a big Hall H panel this week about the Batman 66 TV show coming out. But even as a kid, that didn't do anything for me. It was just, it was silly. But, you know, I guess it was a, a sign of the times in terms of pop culture, why it was as camp as it was. Um,. I think they were trying to make it safe and family friendly after coming out of the whole you know, comic books are bad for kids scare, you know, earlier in the decade. <laughs> and that probably had something to do with it, but you know, culturally at the exactly the same time you've got James Bond killing dudes with a witticism and <laughs> treating women excellently. <laughs> yeah, but kids aren't going to that. Oh, kids went to that. <laughs> Christ's sake, I saw my first James Bond when I was eight. It was Moonraker. It didn't do a lot for me. But, <laughs> but uh, one of the interesting things that came up during that was uh, somebody asked the question, if there's a single Batman story that is your Batman story that encapsulates the character for you, what is it? I f- well, I feel like it would be uh, Batman Year One. See, that's kind of the, that's one of the obvious answers. Yeah, but I, I mean, I, I read Batman, but I'm not like a complete like battophile, if such a thing exists. Uh, it, it does exist. <laughs> I believe it's an intestinal parasite from Paraguay. Or a particular niche fetish. <laughs> I need the bats. It's the only way I can come. <laughs> um, but uh, I, for me, I, I, I think year one even though it's an, an awful obvious answer um just because I, I like the way that it lays out the origin story and introduces you know catwoman and all of the other attendant um supporting characters 
yeah, I mean, it was definitely, it's definitely a, a classic. It's definitely the definitive Batman origin to this day. Sorry, sorry Scott Snyder in <laughs> Zero Year. You're doing okay, but. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, that was one of my gut answers. You know, and another one, obviously, The Dark Knight Returns. Yeah. Because, you know, I read Batman all while I was a kid. Spider-Man was my favorite character for a long time. Batman took the lead after Dark Knight Returns. But I'm not sure that's really my Batman story. Because Batman is only the way he is in The Dark Knight Returns in The Dark Knight Returns. And and then yeah. in a... All-Star Batman and Robin, uh, The Dark Knight Strikes Again. <laughs> I just admitted that exists, and I feel filthy about it. But <laughs> It's all right. We can get you the booze you so desperately need. Oh, right the second I don't need booze. In about an hour. But <laughs> <laughs> Room service will, will send up bottle service. You, you want some whiskey? They'll send it. Oh, It'll I, cost you $800. Yeah, a $900 <laughs> bottle of Old Crow bourbon. <laughs> You know, I could kick a wino and get a <laughs> bottle of Old Crow bourbon for nothing. Be right back. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, I don't think I can call that my definitive Batman story because it doesn't define generally how I think of the character and the things that I, I like about him because he's not like that anywhere else. Year one, much closer to how he is now, but realistically, there's not as much Batman in that as you would like. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to. I don't think Batman shows up in the fourth issue. He not in costume anyway. N- um, and certainly not in the first. But yeah, I. Yeah, you know, that's almost more of a Commissioner Gordon story. True. True. Yeah, or at least as much a Commissioner Gordon story. But you know, I gave it some thought, and it's been a while since I read it. Um. So a lot of the details aren't going to come to mind, but the one I think really cemented sort of a middle ground between Dark Knight Returns and you know, older, less dark, but still realistic Batman was probably Death in the Family. Okay. Yeah, the Jim Starlin, uh, Jim Apero from the late 80s, which means at that point I was in my teens, which is a prime age for something to be cemented into your head. Yep. Um, certainly a dark story, and it showed that DC was at least sort of willing to have the idea of Batman as the lone Dark Knight Avenger. Because, you know, when you're 16 years old reading Batman, and you think, you know, realism as a 16-year-old thinks that, <laughs> you know, it's... No, Batman would never have a Robin, you know, not unless he was there to draw fire and, you know, the, the all the yeah. concepts of... Yeah, he's trying to rebuild his own family that he lost and prevent somebody from being as driven and avenge, you know, avenging under similar circumstances. Yeah, you know, after losing his parents in similar circumstances, sixteen, you don't care about that. It's no Batman goes out by himself and kicks dicks. <laughs> That's really all you want when you're sixteen years old. Specifically, dicks. Really, all you're thinking about <laughs> constantly at sixteen years old is. I want to get laid, and I want to kick somebody in the dick. That's really all I want to do. It explains so much about Dick Grayson. It explains <laughs> so much about high school, <laughs> frankly. But So yeah, the combination of we'll make Batman a loner, even though it didn't last very long. Tim Drake rolled along within two or three months. Um, and the willingness to make 
to to take that kind of darkness of will kill Robin, and it's also great Joker story, great Mike Mignola covers on that. Yeah. So yeah, for me, it's it's probably. Again, I haven't read it for a long time. I'm sure it doesn't hold up. I know they go to Iraq or something, and a lot of it doesn't even take place in Gotham City. But that was the first one where it's like, okay, this is a status quo story for the the Batman that locks it in for me. All right. I, I, I did a little quick research on my phone because I wanted to track down uh, title and authors. I think my favorite Batman story is the graphic novel that was the Batman Man Bat story that was Jamie Delano with John Bolton illustration. It's all beautiful painted uh, yeah, that, art on the inside. Yeah, that, that wasn't Elseworlds, I think. Yeah, but it's still... I, it, it, it's, it spent a lot of time on the character development of um, the the character that becomes Man Bat and like what Kurt um, <laughs> Langstrom. Langstrom. Yeah. Um, and like why he chooses to go back and become the man bat after being in recovery <laughs> yeah <laughs> as it were um and and the level of it, it shows a different side to batman other than the the kicking dicks <laughs> there's another side besides kicking dicks. he he has a level of compassion that he demonstrates in this book delano does a really nice job com- creating a very complex batman um, yeah, and I, I really like that story. The sad thing is the first thing other than the art that pops into my head was the internal dialogue from <laughs> the, the female character. You know, just, I, I once dated a guy who didn't use deodorant. Neither does Batman. It's a detail about Batman. It's okay. It kind of makes sense. I'm not sure that's the one thing you want me taking away from your comic book after it's been 10 years since I've read it. I guess I'm relieved to know that, that Batman doesn't use Axe body spray. <laughs> <laughs> That one gets written down as possible. <laughs> you know, B.O. or Axe. Go with the B.O. Because <laughs> Axe smells like, you know, Dracker Noir and Deep Woods Off had an awful child. Yeah. An Weaponized aw- awful child. Yeah, and, and <laughs> an awful, inappropriate, creepy, maybe rapey child. <laughs> yes. All right, that's, that's kind of... Interesting. I, I never would have thought of that. I, I do like that book, and it's been a long time since I read it. Yeah. But uh, I'll have to pull it off the shelf when we get home. My personal library is unfortunately not available. I don't do anything with digital comics right now. All I have is about 70 pounds of Judge Dredd that I'll have to somehow yeah. get across the country. One other thing that was cool that came out of the panel is they asked the um, the various panelists about their favorite Batman story, and I forget who said it, but somebody brought up um, Detective Comics number 439, which is uh, Night of the Stalker. Yeah. So we went and tracked that down, so we're actually going to read that later. Yeah. <laughs> that is the cool thing about San Diego. Somebody can bring up a particular issue of a comic, and then you can just have it within 10 minutes. Yeah. Now, we didn't even have to hunt for the issue. We went to, like, three different retailers. What we had to hunt for was one who wasn't selling it in mint for $180 because oh, we just want to read the damn thing. <laughs> but. Yeah. Um. And then when we found it for less, we went, are you sure this is only $20? <laughs> well, no, it's because whoever wrote the price tag clearly doesn't understand the It's some numbers. awful palsy. Yeah, it <laughs> could have been a two, could have been a six. It could have been a sigil to call Cthulhu. <laughs> I don't know. It looked like a 20. Fatagin? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and the dude's mocking me as I'm leaving. He's like, didn't know what a 20, didn't realize that was a 20. Motherfucker, you're a comics retailer at SDCC. 
somebody's actually buying comics at SDCC. Don't give me shit, pal. Yeah. yeah, 90% of the people here are, you know, hoping to glean out that it's Johnny Depp under the <laughs> under, under the Brian Cranston mask. Yeah, yeah. We've yeah. gone far afield here. <laughs> we have, we have. But, uh, yeah, so, yeah, that was just a kind of cool thing. And, yeah, supposedly that issue uh, was the inspiration for the first scene in the Batman movie. Yeah. Now, that was the other cool thing. The producer of the Batman movies who wrote comics in the 70s, whose name I didn't get and I don't have in front of me, it, it was just a cool But we love you, sir. You were awesome. Well, it, yeah, he, <laughs> he had a lot of funny stories, and one of them was since he was sort of DC's liaison as producer with Tim Burton for the first Batman, yeah. his responsibility was to keep him away from the shitty Batman stories. Yeah. It's like, specifically, it's like, I made sure he didn't get Batmite, <laughs> or Robot Batman, or Parallax Batman. Yeah. Or, and, yeah, wound up uh, giving him, uh, I wrote it down, uh, what were the arcs? I think it was uh, the entirety of the... Uh, uh, Neil Adams, uh, Denny O'Neill yep, run, yep. Uh, the Marshall Rogers, Steve Englehart run on Detective Comics, which yep. is absolutely awesome. Uh, and there was uh, the first 24 issues of the Bob Kane, Bill Finger, yeah. like, from the Way beginning back. of Detective yeah. Comics. So 1939. So yeah, apparently Night of the Stalker and <laughs> those three arcs are why we got at least as decent a Batman movie as we did can you imagine if Tim Burton knew such a thing as Batmite existed or oh, Ace Jesus. the Bat-Dog? <laughs> Ace the Bat-Dog, yeah, he would have been a fucking yippie Pomeranian. <laughs> and uh, Paul Rubens would have been wandering around in a Batmite suit. Jesus. <laughs> Bat-Pee-Wee. <laughs> I feel he did show up as uh, Penguin's father in Batman Returns. Yeah, well, at least he had a certain dignity that a man gains after he's shackled in a porno <laughs> theater. <laughs> I guess. But, so yeah, that was fun. What what else did we hit yesterday? Um, oh, yeah. The very next panel in that room. Oh, that was awesome. Was uh, basically just talking about favorite geek movies of 1984. It wasn't even geek movies because they kind of got a field into like other things. Like, I don't think Blame It on Rio, for example, is a geek movie. Uh, it's a fucked up movie. Considering <laughs> considering in the eighties, uh, that'd be the only way a geek could see titty. <laughs> that and there was know, porn in the eighties. Yeah, but you couldn't just you know plant your fist into a keyboard and add dot <laughs> com and have it. <laughs> getting porno in the eighties, <laughs> women don't understand about getting porno in the eighties. You got porno in the eighties, either you know because your dad had a stash that you found, and my dad. Did not, because I looked. There was always the mythical porn in the woods. My, my dad had a stash. Well, we, we <laughs> didn't know each other. You know, we've established we wouldn't have liked each other when we were in high school, so that doesn't make a difference. But, but yeah, there's the mythical porn in the woods, because I guess what would happen is when people wanted to dispose of their porno, they didn't want to <laughs> throw it in the trash. So, you know, the filthy, stinking animal who's picking up your trash cans, you don't want him to look down on you. No, so, but the bear shitting in the woods. Yeah. So, it's, <laughs> Sorry. so people would drop their porn in the woods and the kids would find it. I saw once or twice over the years was able to get, you know, your hands on that. But, you know, VHS porn, unless you had an ID, you couldn't go rent it. You certainly couldn't go buy it unless you lived in like an urban area. Yeah. Um, 
there was no internet to order it from. So you couldn't order it and, what, watch the mail and hope mom and dad didn't get it? <laughs> <laughs> we'll send it in a plain brown wrapper. <laughs> oh, son, somebody <laughs> sent you a videotape in a plain brown wrapper. That is not suspicious in any fashion. This bong-shaped thing also arrived in a plain brown wrapper. <laughs> so, yeah, you took your porno where you could get it. And where you could get it was at, you know, Blame 2 in the morning you. on <laughs> Cinemax. If you had Cinemax. I didn't have Cinemax either. <laughs> so you hand a videotape to a buddy and go, get me titty movies. <laughs> Start looking at the scrambled screen. <laughs> I hear moans. That might be a nip. <laughs> it was enough. <laughs> It was enough. <laughs> Not anymore. Uh, now that I can get all forms of perversion on the internet. <laughs> I need bats. It's the only way I can come. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the only thing Playboy is good for is to cover up the real filthy shit <laughs> walking at home. All right, we're we're going afield. <laughs> yeah. <but> so what? <laughs> so yeah, certainly they talked about other movies beyond the geek ones, but you know, if you stop and think about it, 1984. It was huge for geek movies. It, it was, was Ghostbusters, Gremlins, uh, Last Starfighter, Last Starfighter, Buckaroo Banzai, um, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Yep. Uh, Christ, they named a whole bunch of other ones. I can't remember. Streets of Fire for some reason. <laughs> Nobody saw Streets of Fire in the 80s. Tank. <laughs> the, the only geek in Tank was C. Thomas Howell <laughs> showing up for his fucking Oh, chat. Red Dawn came out, I think, that year also, speaking of... <laughs> uh, I think so. Uh, that was good for geeks just in the sense every teenage boy... <laughs> Wanted to go blow up a commie. Yeah, blow up a commie, kick dicks, and get laid. <laughs> the, the holy troika. It comes <laughs> back to... <laughs> Everything comes back to kicking dicks. Yeah, we've been together a long time. You haven't figured this out yet? You seem awfully fixated on kicking dicks today. <laughs> Look, I spent yesterday and will spend most of today elbowing people out of the way yeah. to, to get breathing room on the floor of the convention. <laughs> I will want to kick dick. Yeah. Go play Comic-Con Fight for Air. <laughs> <laughs> All of Comic-Con is Fight for Air. So, I mean, yeah, we were both 13 in 1984. Yes. So uh, one of the things we were talking about after the panel is, you know, it's like, wow, there were so many movies that were formative to our experience yeah. but i i think it's really you know 12 13 14 that's when you can start going to the movies and yeah those whatever movies you see there where you can go by yourself and not have to worry about yeah if there's a boob on the screen feel uncomfortable because dad's sitting next to you yeah <laughs> and uh you know those are movies that form your experience we're fortunate in that uh, yeah in our 13th year there were movies like that I don't know, but what was your biggest 1984 movie? Well, uh, again, there's the easy answer, and then there's the one that, that comes to you after you think about it for a while. <laughs> oh, yeah, and believe me, I, I tried, and the problem is everything was like a year around it. Right. And originally, I was going to say Strange Brew, because that was one of the movies that moved me toward comedy, but that was 1983. Did, did we uh, establish whether or not Romancing the Stone was 1984? We haven't. It was either 1983 or 1984, so it's close but, I mean, the easy answer is, is Ghostbusters. I mean, yeah, obviously. Because uh, that's the one that holds up. Um, you know, it's, it, other than Indiana Jones, that's as close to classic as, as you can get. Yeah. I uh, And, you know, Ghostbusters, I, I wanted to be a Ghostbuster for Halloween that year. Yes, I was 13 and 
still going out trick or treating. Um, I want to go. I want to be a Ghostbuster for Halloween this year. There's no <laughs> shame in that. <laughs> um, last Starfighter made me um, sit down and create my first um, special effects makeup because I, I was fascinated by the concept of of the android. Um, like Lance Guest. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I, I got some, some paper and some tin foil and created a rudimentary uh, skin flap that would pop up and show metal on seemingly the inside of one's wrist. <laughs> That's pretty cool for 13 years old. <laughs> yeah. Um, See, that was a big movie for me because I, I already had my first computer and I was programming. You know, I, I was one of those geeks and it's made me a comfortable living because of it, but... So, yeah, the idea of a movie where most of the special effects, well, most of the good special effects anyway, were all done in a computer and that you could do something like that, that was really, that was awesome to me. Yeah, plus the idea that playing video games could make you into a hero of some sort. Yeah, which reminds me um, that since there's sort of a similarly not, not similarly themed, but Pixels is coming out, and there's a, a bit of a promotional push for that here um, at Comic-Con. Yeah. There's an arcade um, that is their promo. Oh, yeah, Romancing the Stone was 1984. Um, okay. The uh, So that might be something to be fun to stop in to, to see, um, just because it's the whole idea of uh, there's a, a Boston comedian, uh, Tim McIntyre, who had a joke around playing video games for a living, which was sort of tagged with, Seema, yes I can, or I'm sorry, I just botched your joke, Tim, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can too, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, we had a lot of fun when uh, the new Tron movie was coming through and they, they set up an arcade to promote that. Um, See, that was awesome because I finally got to actually play Space Paranoids. <laughs> that looked like the most awesome game in human history when Tron came out, and it would have been had it actually existed, and then some dingbat actually put it together in an arcade cabinet, and they had a bunch of them there, and God, I sucked at it so much. <laughs> but actually being able to destroy a recognizer at 40 years old was one of the high points of my geek life at the time. <laughs> But I was just thinking it might be fun to swing by the, the Pixels Arcade to see what, what classic games they may have set up. We can take a look. We don't have to wait too long because, you know, obviously we did a show a few months ago. We have access with an hour and a half drive to Fun Spot, which is the biggest arcade in the world. Yeah. But uh, as a palate cleanser in between dick kicking and <laughs> getting my feet stomped on by weirdos. <laughs> but I think I think my favorite movie from 1984 is probably Romancing the Stone. Um I remember just thinking um, Michael Douglas's character was was just fabulous. Like, <laughs> he was a dick. <laughs> <laughs> right, so that's why we're together. <laughs> he was going to steal shit from Kathleen Turner. Their chemistry together in the movie was great. Um, Side boob from Kathleen Turner. We took it where we could get it, people. <laughs> Um, and you know, to this day, I, I will find any excuse to drop Helen Gar- gone from Cartagena <laughs> in a conversation. Yep. <laughs> I have a car. I am not Tarzan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's just some great lines in that movie. That that one's fun. Yeah, and you know that gets into you know when we were talking about Temple of Doom, we both um, felt somewhat disappointed by it until we realized we shouldn't view it as a sequel to. Well, it's, uh, I, uh, of Doom. I don't want to take credit for it. I forget yeah. where I read it, but it was somebody else's idea. It might have been on the Dissolve.com revisiting it. Um, but don't, either way, I got it from someplace. 
if you view it as a prequel to Raiders of the Lost Ark, yeah, it really makes sense because if you at the beginning, Indiana Jones is a dick. He's using this child for simple labor and tricks. He's willing to let people die to get his hands on the treasure. At no point in that movie does he say this belongs in a museum. Right. He's like, no, I'm after this. Fortune and glory flat out says, I'm I'm in it for the money. (laughs) And it's not until Short Round frees him from the blood of Kali where... He shows that he cares for Short Round, and then his mission becomes free the children as opposed to get the Sankara stones. Yeah. So it's, and I've not rewatched the movie since I read this, but I'm like, that makes a lot of sense, and it might change my, because, like a lot of people, I've always thought Temple of Doom is the weakest. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's where I was, you know, going with, I, I as much as I, I, I love romancing the stone. Um, Jewel of the Nile was one of those cases where it's like, I feel really let down by this. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Temple of Doom, when we were talking about this yesterday, if you were 13 years old in 1984, Temple of Doom was really the first sequel you could be disappointed by. Yeah. Because the first big sequel that any of us were aware of was Empire Strikes Back. And we talked about this also last night, drunkenly at the bar. I was eight years old and angry when I left that movie. <laughs> well, uh, yes, but, and I understand there were things left open and unresolved, and I didn't have a problem with that. I, I'd say you're probably in the minority. Um, I mean, now that it's completed, when yeah. you watch it, does it still piss you off? Or No, I now now it's my favorite of, of the original three. Yeah, like it is for, for most people. It's yeah. mine, too. But as a kid, I was like, "Wait, yeah, d- d- Luke Luke Skywalker's father is Darth Vader." And d- spoilers, goddammit. <laughs> and and wait, there's it's it's all open ended, and what's going to happen next? It, it made me so angry that I, I had to go out and get uh, Jedi: Return of the Jedi as a novelization um, from like the Troll Book Club or Scholastic Book Club or whatever service we were utilizing i did the same thing i, I couldn't wait for the movie <laughs> yeah. either but and, i was 11 I, years I old i pissed my dad off because i spoiled jedi for him <laughs> yeah i mean my parents were spoiled from all of it because yeah i had the making of jedi beforehand and yeah. so yeah all that stuff was all over the house but yeah you're really in the minority with your eight-year-old reaction to empire I was angry. strikes I was back so angry <laughs> you know for me it was you know wow, it's not just another story. They Movies just keep getting better when you make sequels. Well, I think also what re- what really pissed me off, now that I think about it, you know, there's that classic moment in the movie you know, where Han's about to be frozen in carbonite and Leia's all like, I love you. And he's like, I know. And then he's in carbonite. And and, and, and he's not saved by the end of the movie. You know, that, that really upset me. You're supposed to save your people. <laughs> <laughs> no man left behind, goddammit. <laughs> What about Han? <laughs> the fuck? Well, <laughs> hey, look. I'm angry. He, he's okay. <laughs> no, he broke his leg on the set. <laughs> he's not okay. Oh, God. <laughs> but, so yeah, to, to get back to the point. <laughs> yes, they're too old to keep doing this. <laughs> but yeah, to get back to the point, in my opinion, when I was eight, oh, movies just keep getting better. And Temple of Doom was so much darker and so different. Yeah. It, it was the first time I'd say, oh, no, that was really my first chance to be disappointed by a sequel. 
Yeah, no, I hear you on that. Because I agree. And I just found Willie annoying, so. <laughs> well, th- yeah, but she's supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, Karen Allen was so awesome in the first movie, it was sort of a letdown as a female character to me. So. <laughs> yeah, and, and as a white dude, I have a different point of view, but, yeah. And, and certainly things went much more toward the Raiders of the Lost Ark in the third movie. Yes. And thank God they just stopped. <laughs> There, yeah, there no certainly more. wasn't anything with with Kate Blanchett and aliens and Shia LaBeouf or awful fever dream. No idea what you're saying right now. <laughs> Just saying words. Oh, I suddenly want to kick more dick. <laughs> All right. Well, this is a. Uh, anything else we want to talk about with '80s movies? Um. Or '84 movies? There's a million '80s movies. No, but I'm I'm looking forward to if they come back the. Uh, the 1985. Yeah, they've been doing this for a few years. They started a couple of years ago with the geek movies in 1982, yeah. which is a you know, huge year with Blade Runner. Yep. And, and we missed it both that year and with the geek movies in 1983, which is probably a good thing because I would have, <laughs> regardless of Return of the Jedi, I'd been standing at that mic screaming for war games and vengeance. <laughs> but yeah, 85 is going to be a little bit dicier because that was a year of Top Gun, which really kind of yep. fucked around with... Uh, summer blockbusters as a whole for quite a long time. Yeah, but uh, it also had uh, Better Off Dead, yep. which I will defend to the death, and uh, Real Genius, which that's like possibly my favorite geek movie of all time. Yeah, someday we're we're just gonna have to do an entire show arguing about those two <laughs> movies. <laughs> but uh, if they could hang in for another year or so after that, you know, then we could start hearing about Big Trouble in Little China and. Love that movie. That's just my favorite movie, I think, possibly of all times. <laughs> it's it's solid. No, and yeah, frankly, we could be reviewing <laughs> the the new Big Trouble in Little China uh, issue from Eric Powell, but yeah. it's one of the weird dichotomies of Comic Con. You almost can't get new comics no. here. No, and I I, I ha- we talked last week about uh. The, the Harley Quinn takes on Comic-Con uh, issue that, that came out and how awesome it was. And Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti are, are in Artist Alley this year. And I was kind of like, damn, I should have brought that <laughs> so I could get it signed. And now I don't know if I can track down another one while I'm here. <laughs> yeah, because the comics retailers, they don't haul new stock because they figure anybody who's going to come to Comic-Con and go to a comic retailer part has of the floor. Has a pull list back home. Has a pull list at home at their own store. Yeah. So you just, yeah, you can't get a, a new comic to save your soul here. Yeah. Unless it's a weird variant cover and it's $10 when it should be 4 <laughs> Right. Which I'm uh, I'm not about to do. No. <laughs> so, yes, well, well, there will be you know, at least a, a couple, three more podcasts this week You know, from, I was going to say sunny San Diego, but it looks like it's raining over Chula Vista out the window. Yep. The pineapples will get wet. Oh, no. What will happen to the pineapples? <laughs> I get me a wet pineapple, I'm going to kick some dick. Wet pineapple. Is that a euphemism? <laughs> <laughs> if you go in the right men's room <laughs> on the floor, it is. Uh, all right. So, yeah, this is a shorter than usual episode. We will obviously be making up for it with having a few episodes this week. And frankly, like I said, we're, we're sorry this one is so late. But, man, it was a lot of running around trying to get our goddamn cat taken care of. Blame it on the cat sitter and Rio. <laughs> <laughs> I'll write that one down in a minute. 
Uh, so yeah, why don't we uh, wrap this one up again? We'll uh, hopefully have another episode either later on today, if not tomorrow morning, with Garyanna Beta, who, if she's of stronger stuff than we are, <laughs> might have some actual news from Hall H. You know, otherwise, it'd just be fun shooting the shit with her. Yeah. But in the meantime, um, let's wrap this up because yeah, I've tested our hotel Wi-Fi. Um, this thing is going to be murderous to upload, even as it is. So. And I'd like to get down to the floor and see see what's what today. Yeah, and catch a couple panels. So we got something to talk about later. But yeah, yeah, let's wrap this one up. So uh, yeah, uh, once again, you can find us at our home website, crisisoninfinitemidlives.com. You can email us at crisisoninfinitemidlives at gmail.com. You can find us on iTunes. If you find this episode through iTunes. Do us a favor, throw us a ranking, uh, put a review in. You know, again, we're doing a lot of this by the uh, seat of our pants. We're making this up as we go along. You know, in the the shadows of the convention center and the the dole boat. <laughs> so yeah, let us know what you like. Uh, any suggestions? We're on Twitter at at infinite midlife. Yeah. So, but yeah, uh, let's wrap this up before it becomes too big to upload <laughs> in any in any way, shape, or form. So uh, this has been the Crisis on Infinite Midlife Show, episode 25. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. And thank you for listening. And sure. Now let's go kick some dicks. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs>